Hi, I'm Wayne Heinsohn, the pastor of Grace Church Australia. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. We hope it is inspirational and it equips you to make known the name of Jesus. You can stay connected with us during the week by going to gracegathering.online. I just want to remind you our beautiful God is so in love with you. Sometimes when we have stuff going on, it bounces back, that truth, and we don't fully receive it in here. But the truth is, our beautiful God is deeply, passionately, overwhelmingly in love with you. That's the truth. For you, if you're visiting with us this morning, I'm Pastor Jackie. And I'm excited about what he has put on my heart to share this morning. (laughs) He is a good God. And when you just, I don't have a lot of time during the week sometimes. Sometimes I have a lot, but sometimes I don't. And whenever I go into his presence, whenever I spend time with him, he is faithful to speak. He's not hard to find. He's like, you came. You're here. I'm delighted. And then he speaks and he loves and he pours out treasure from the word into my spirit and I get excited and I get teary and I think, wow, why would you show me that? Why would the creator of the universe spend any time with me? Because he is God and he is good. And he is love and he is mercy and he is long-suffering and he is compassionate and he is overwhelmingly in love with you. I want you to receive that. Even if you have to physically do something with your heart this morning, if you physically need to go, I'm opening up my heart this morning, I want you to receive that truth. And my message this morning, and I guess that's why I'm a little bit energised. <laughs> my message this morning, church, is called Zeal and the Stone. Now, I know it sounds a bit like a movie title. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit gave it to me, I thought, wow, that's a bit out there. Sounds like a movie title. But I'm not here to promote the movie. I'm here to promote Jesus. I'm not here to um, be up here up the front giving you a performance. I'm here to give you revelation and truth. Our King Jesus is on the throne and I'm here to glorify him this morning with this message. I'm here to bring a word of truth that hopefully, prayerfully, will speak to your spirit and will transform your spirit. We don't gather together for performance for a club, for culture, we gather because Jesus is king. And that is it. So I hope you're ready for the ride this morning, church. (laughs) I just ask Holy Spirit, use me. (laughs) So when I do that, he does. So I've been sharing a, a message from the book of John for a number of weeks, and, and it's in John 11. It's a book um, in the New Testament. <clears throat> and it's the story of Lazarus and the resurrection. 
Lazarus's resurrection by Jesus. And um, it's a New Testament scripture, a passage of scripture. So it's written in Greek. And um, a lot of the main passages today God actually wants us to look at are actually found in the Old Testament. And they are written in Hebrew. So today we're going to bounce back and forth a little bit between Greek and Hebrew, okay, as we learn about the zeal of our God. And um, so in the last past couple of messages, and if you've missed them, you can go online to go back and listen to any of our messages um, and just go back over them. Or if you were away and you missed one, go back and um, listen to them. It's good to hear the heart of God as he speaks through different people in Grace Church. So if you missed one, go back and have a listen and um, you'll see what he's saying because he collectively he speaks to us. Individually he speaks to us, but collectively he speaks to us. So we've been talking in John 11 about Lazarus, Mary and Martha and they are friends and followers of Jesus. And they're special to Jesus, they're his friends. And Lazarus has died, he's placed in a tomb and there's a stone that's rolled in front of the tomb. It gives us an amazing picture of a type that is to come when Jesus is put in a tomb and we know that the stone is rolled in front of that entrance. So in that story and in many stories throughout the Bible, God's heart is for us to understand that a new covenant has come. And so in this story, we can read it as a story, a literal story, that Mary and Martha, they were people, they were real people, this happened, their brother died and Jesus did a miracle. But there is so much more in the word of God and the Holy Spirit reveals um, to those who seek, to those who study, to those who dig into the word and ask the Holy Spirit to show them. He shows a different level of revelation. Church, my heart is for you that you will have such a hunger to know the word and ask the Holy Spirit, what does this mean? He brings revelation. He is the, he is the person, the third person of the triune God who brings the revelation because the word is alive and living and active in our lives. And so in this particular story, Mary and Martha are contrasted against each other. And Martha in the story is a representation of the old covenant of the law. And Mary in that story is a representation of the new covenant of grace. And so throughout the story, as we read it in John 11, and as I said, in many other stories, he contrasts different characters to reveal truth. And so they're compared and contrasted against each other so that God may reveal to humankind his plan for redemption. He doesn't do it to be clever. He does it to reveal his plan for redemption for people. He wants you to get revelation to know him more. There's no trick involved. It's not some literary uh, source or theme or skill. This is the word of God. And the Holy Spirit illuminates truth. And so when he um, does that in this particular story, as I said, Martha 
is a representation of the old covenant of the law. And she responds to Jesus out of that. And I've shared over the last couple of weeks those responses. Martha comes rushing out to confront Jesus and the law will always confront. And I've been reminded of that that this week when the Holy Spirit laid on my heart to send a message to someone who has not heard a lot of grace teaching and its response was not good. Church, for nine years, Wayne and I have been sowing the gospel of grace into you. So when you receive a message now, you hear grace. You hear the Father's heart. You won't receive this message with the condemnation when you look at it through the Father's heart. And God reminded me of that this week, that as you learn more about grace, that the legalistic thinking drops off. The law drops off. It's meant to drop off because we are to live as believers under the new covenant of grace. Jesus came to purchase a new covenant by his body, by his blood. There is no in-between. There is no jumping back to law and back to grace and mixing it up like oil and water because they don't mix. It was never meant to be two covenants running side by side. And if you have never heard the gospel of grace as it truly is meant to be preached, you will respond to this message this morning with a legalistic heart. You will respond to it with, what is she saying? I'm not this, I'm not that. But when we understand the new covenant of grace... Our beautiful God's heart, his love, his compassion, his mercy is what we see first in the story. We're not condemned because the law condemns. And this is what happened to me this week. I sent a beautiful message of grace and the person had not heard grace teaching, grace teaching. And in response was a condemnation. You think I'm this? No. <laughs> wasn't my intent I wanted to encourage you that God loves you so church I want you to open up your heart if you're visiting here this morning and you've not heard a lot of grace just open up your heart because the father's heart is for you and so this morning when we read the story I want you to understand that God just wants to reveal his plan of redemption So Martha in that story responds to Jesus in a very legalistic manner and as I shared with you, she misses the opportunity to connect with the Saviour in front of her. She misses it. When we're busy thinking we know everything and we're busy thinking this is the law and I'm going to stand on the law, we miss the intimate personal connection to the Saviour and Martha missed it. She came out, she ran out, she confronted Jesus and there was a moment, a flicker, a moment where Jesus says, do you believe? And she turns and she runs back to the house. She missed the opportunity to look at the Saviour and says, yes, I believe in you. I believe that you are the Saviour. I want to connect with you. And that was the response that Mary brought as she ran out to face Jesus in the very same spot. And she fell at his feet because she knew without him she was nothing. And that's a sticking point for some people. The more you realise how insignificant you are, 
the more you realize that there is a God who is greater, who is greater, who is greater, who is greater, who is greater. And you're in awe. You're in awe that the Creator would talk to me, that the Creator would send his Son to die for me, that the Creator would, as I come to him in my, you know, busyness of life, if I come to him and I sit there and the Creator says, I'm here, and he speaks to me. It's about us understanding, church, that God is far greater and so full of love towards humankind that he would want a new covenant, that he was not satisfied with an old covenant that kept people at a distance, that he would want from the depths of who he is to send his son to die for me, to die for you. And that's the zeal of the Lord. I want to talk about that this morning. So Mary recognised the Saviour. She, she threw herself at his feet and she represents in that story, she represents grace. There's an intimate personal connection to the Saviour under the new covenant of grace. And I also shared last time about an interesting um, link back to Adam and Eve's rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden. Because Mary's name actually means their rebellion. So although she represents grace, she also represents their rebellion, humankind's rebellion. And there's a link back to the Garden of Eden where um, Adam and Eve turned their back on God, their rebellion right back there in the garden. They turned their back on God, but God didn't turn his back on them. Right then in the garden, he clothed them in animal skins, the very first blood sacrifice. And he said, I will bring mercy and compassion on you, even though under the law you should die. God did not turn his back on their rebellion. And so Mary is a representation of grace and she is also a representation of their rebellion. And I love that she recognised her need for a saviour. She comes out running to him and she throws herself at his feet. And out of her grief, her inadequacy, realising, I can't do this by myself. I need a saviour. I can't bring my brother back to life. I am in this moment of grief and inadequacy, but I know my saviour can. And she throws herself at his feet. And Martha and um, Jesus have this interaction of law, legalistic speak. But his interaction with Mary is very different. Jesus wept. Jesus saw her heart, her need for a saviour, and Jesus wept. So just like in the garden... God the Father responds to Adam and Eve with mercy. In this story, we see the Son responding with mercy. That's the heart of God. No matter what you're going through, what you've been through, everybody goes through things. 
We think sometimes everything's happening to me. But I'm telling you, there are many, many things in people's lives you do not know about. And I have learnt that as a pastor, everybody is going through something. Everybody is going through something. Everybody is up and down. But if we hang on to our beautiful Jesus, if we throw ourselves on the mercy of our Saviour, we come out the other side with life. And I want to share about that this morning. So the son responds to Mary with mercy. So let's read about that in John 11, 33 to 35. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. I, I didn't get to share about that last time, but the Jews that are around her, Mary herself speaks of humankind and grace, but the Jews that are there around her represent his chosen people. And so when he, and I'll share about it in a second, when he becomes deeply moved, he's not just looking at Mary, he's also looking at a group of his chosen people standing before him and he snorts in anger. I will talk about that a little bit more. So he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and that was a phrase I could not let go of. The Holy Spirit said, look, dig into this, dig into this. Verse 34, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And in verse 35, our beautiful saviour, Jesus wept. He didn't weep when he spoke to Martha because she wanted to come to him through the law. And the law is not intimate. The law is rules and regulations and requirements and you cannot connect to law. You need to connect to the saviour. And so if we skip forward to verse 38 there, so we're in John 11, verse 38, we read again the connecting phrase, once more deeply moved. So that mentioned two times in that passage of scripture. John 11:38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. And those two phrases are connecting. They both have the same thing. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And once more, he was deeply moved. He is God. He knows that he can raise Lazarus from the dead. It is a greater, bigger kingdom principle that is moving him, church. He knows that he is the saviour. He knows that the Holy Spirit is in him, that he is the son of God. His deity can easily make things miraculously happen. So when it says there he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, once more deeply moved, we are not talking about a natural physical reaction to the death of Lazarus. We're talking about a supernatural, greater kingdom principle that when he looked and he saw the Jews and he saw Mary, he was deeply moved in spirit. So let's look at that in the Greek. Now, I'm not going to pronounce it again, so deeply moved, because my Greek pronunciation is very bad. So deeply moved, that phrase, it means to snort like an angry horse snort, roar with rage. And if you were here this morning in the worship and your spirit was open, you would have felt the roar this morning. 
The lion of Judah is roaring. He is calling his church to stand up with him, no longer be asleep and slumbering. He is calling his church to be prepared because the lion is returning. And so he's calling us to have that roar, that snort with rage. It it expresses strong indignation, a deep feeling that is moved to sternly admonish. So we know in the physical he's not going to be nostrils flaring like an angry horse staring at Mary. We know that that's not physically what's happening, but he's deeply moved in his spirit. And if we look at the next slide, in his spirit in the Greek is the pneuma, wind, breath, spirit. And in the Hebrew it has the same range of meaning, wind, breath, spirit, but also Holy Spirit. Ruach. It's the breath of God that was breathed into Adam. It's the life that was breathed into the dust of the ground and man was created. So when he is deeply moved in his spirit and his nostrils are flaring, he is looking at a huge kingdom principle that my people need to be set free. He is looking with the lion's roar. He is not saying, oh, Mary's weeping. Mary's grieving. He's going, my people, humankind, they need a saviour. I'm here for a purpose. My nostrils are flaring and it moves him. It moves his spirit. That's the zeal of God. Come on, church. That's the zeal of the Lord. His spiritual snort was at the enemy. I am going through to death for victory to set the captives free. That is the snort of the Saviour in that moment, that he would die on the cross and lay down his life for you and for me because of his zeal. He was deeply moved to act. He was the plan from the creation, beginning of the world. He was the plan for salvation. His plan and purpose was to come and bring us back into right relationship with God. And I think at that moment that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. It was like, I'm going through. I'm not saying that's the only moment, but that's a moment. So Jesus' zeal for you and for me, his zeal for our redemption, his zeal for our salvation, his zeal to see us released from the captivity that the enemy has over us, that's his zeal, that's his drive. It's driving him to the point of death, church. That's our God. That is our God. It's driving him to die in our place. It's driving the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit outside of time, had a plan. His name was Jesus. Jesus would come into the appointed time in history and he would obtain victory. Why? The plan was before time. 
Why? Because he has a heart for people. He died for you. He died for me. His zeal compelled him. The zeal of the Lord. And I love that the songs this morning talked about that, that there is only one who is capable of fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law. There is only one who is capable of fulfilling the old covenant. There is only one who can achieve salvation for us, and his name is Jesus. His name means salvation. There is only one. And in our rebellion, remember Mary's name, in our rebellion, there was no one found worthy to bring justice to humankind's fallen state. No one was found worthy. So when we sang this morning, we declare you worthy, worthy, worthy. That's what I'm thinking about. There is no one worthy of redeeming us, of rescuing us, of bringing salvation to us. There is no one worthy but our King. No one worthy, church. That's what brings me to tears. That's what stirs my heart, the zeal of the Lord, that there is no one worthy. That's what stirs his heart to go through to the cross. The zeal of the Lord. And I love that the zeal of the Lord prevailed. The zeal of the Lord prevailed. He is victorious. No matter what anyone thinks or how they ridicule Christians, it is not going to change the fact that the zeal of the Lord has prevailed. He is victorious. He sits at the right hand of the Father and he reigns. So in our rebellion, I'm going to read a scripture that I ended on last time. Isaiah 59, verse 12 to 17. This is us. For our offences are many in your sight, And our sins testify against us. Our offences are ever with us and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. That's humankind in its rebellion. But what does our Saviour do? Let's continue. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. His spirit was moved deeply troubled that there was no one. He was displeased that there was no justice for people, that they could not be set free from the enemy's hold, that they could not escape the law, the heaviness of the law. They could not escape. We could not escape. And he looked and he was displeased that there was no justice. Verse 16. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. Think about that, church. His own arm, the hand of God, achieved salvation for him. 
and his own righteousness sustained him. How did Jesus go through it? How does he go through it? Because the Holy Spirit, his deity, his righteousness sustained him. His spirit was deeply moved and troubled, church. He looked, the next verse, I'll keep going, otherwise I'll get on to something else. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. And next time I share, I'm going to share on that message. Zeal as in a cloak, the cloak of zeal. Stay tuned. (laughs) Because there it talks about the armour of God. But does the armour of God tell us to put on the garments of vengeance and wrap ourselves in a zeal? That coat, that purpose, that um, role was only for Jesus. He is the only one worthy. He is the only one worthy to wear those garments, church. He is the only one worthy. So what is the meaning of zeal? So let's look at it in Hebrew for a moment because we just have just read Isaiah 59 and it's an Old Testament scripture. So we want to look at the Old Testament scripture. We want to look at it, at the original meaning in the words in Hebrew. So up there you can see the Hebrew word kina. Ada, zeal, jealousy. And it's the same in the Greek. Zelos, eagerness, zeal, jealousy, rivalry. And it comes from that root word up there, zelo, to boil, to burn in spirit and fervent. Can you picture him? I can. When he's faced with Mary at his feet and the grief and the hold of the enemy that the enemy has over people, the death, and his spirit is boiling. That's the zeal. It says to boil, to burn in spirit. His spirit is boiling with jealousy. I'll share about that in a second. So he was boiling, he was burning in the spirit, he was snorting in anger at the enemy's hold over people with a jealousy. Now we think of that word very negatively. We think of it in a negative light. But the Holy Spirit wants us to gain revelation, church, that our God is jealous over you. He is boiling, bubbling, angry, fervent, strong in his eagerness to pursue you because he does not want the enemy to have you. He is jealous and zealous over you. His passion is what drives him. His passion to want to be in an intimate communion, covenant relationship with people. That's his passion. Because we know from the scriptures that God's heart is none shall perish. That's what 
That's what's driving him. That's his zeal. That's his jealousy. He is jealous. And I love that it has in there in the meaning um, rivalry because the Holy Spirit reminds me that there should be no God. He is, has a rivalry against the enemy. There should be no other God before me. There is a rivalry happening because he said, I want everyone to be my children. None should perish. None should be under the captivity of the enemy. None. He is pursuing people by his spirit with jealousy. Don't think of it as I'm coveting something. He's actually pursuing you with jealousy because he goes, I love them. I'm going to send my son and he's going to die. And Jesus died and goes, I see them. And he's on the cross and we're not even born yet, church. And he says them, 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 them. Those that are yet to come and he sees them and he's zealous and he has victory. And he says, I did it because I am jealous of their uh, hearts. I want their hearts. I want their hearts. I want them to choose me because I chose them. I want them to choose me because he first chose us. That's the heart of the Father. That's the driving heart of the Father. Exodus 34 verse 14 says, You must worship no other gods, for the Lord whose very name is Jealous is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. beautiful is that? Deuteronomy 4.24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. This is not an angry, jealous God. This is a passionate, loving God who is pursuing the lost because he does not want anyone to perish and he wants to be in relationship with you. Zechariah 8.2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very zealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. Church, we are insignificant in the plan of God, but we are everything in the plan of God. Individually, we're insignificant. We're tiny little blips in the history of the universe. But in God's kingdom, we are everything. That's the heart of the Father. So God chose you before the creation of the world. How do I know that? Because Jesus was the plan before the creation of the world. He had a plan set in place before the sin came through Adam and Eve. He had a plan for redemption before we, needed, we know that we needed a saviour. He had a plan. He saw you before the creation of the world because he is creator. I tell my kids that all the time. He is creator. Who are we to know the mind of our God? We are insignificant, yet in God's heart we are everything. So much so that his zealousness, his jealousy pursues across the earth by his spirit, pursues those that would turn in their rebellion, that they would turn and see his mercy. So let's head back to our scripture about Lazarus in John 11, 
38 to 39, where we gain insight into what Jesus, our Saviour, achieved at the cross. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Jesus doesn't say too much. He just commands. I love it. He just commands to those around him. Take away the stone. The stone is a reference to the law because the law was written by the hand of God on tablets of stone on Mount Sinai. So when he says, take away the stone, what is he saying? He's saying, no longer should my people be behind the law, bound to the law. No longer shall you be under law, but you shall be under grace. People were bound in slavery. Once the law came in, people were bound to rules and requirements. And if you didn't follow the law, you died. And God, in his heart of hearts, says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. His desire was for the new covenant of grace. His desire was for mercy, not for people to be bound by the weight of sin and condemnation that comes from the law. And so here, remember that Martha is a representation of the law. And the Holy Spirit revealed this to me. It says in verse 39, Martha speaks, But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Martha is a representation of the law, and it's only Martha, not Mary, who speaks. And Martha says, There is a bad odour, the stench of death. Law itself declares there's a stench of death behind the stone. Come on, church. (laughs) This is our God revealing to you his plans and purposes. The law, she represents the law, and she herself, the law says, there is only death and odour, a stench of death behind that stone. Mary says nothing. So what's what's the Bible telling us? That under the old covenant of the law, there is only death. There is a stench of guilt and condemnation because of sin. Remember under the law, the sacrifices were daily. They were only temporal coverings, but there was always a stench of death. We always knew we didn't live up to the law. We always knew that we were sinners. We always knew that the covering, the blood covering of uh, bulls and goats was only temporal. We always knew. We are still sinners. And so that's what Martha is saying. The law is saying there is only death behind that stone. There is only a stench of death behind that stone. The law only brings death. But if we skip down to verse 43 and 44, and I don't have the slide, but he speaks again in a loud voice. It tells us, Lazarus, come out. And then he again speaks and says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Beloved, 
That's who you are in God's eyes. So I'm going to speak that over you this morning. Beloved, Jesus is calling you to come out from behind the stone. He has rolled the stone away. He has fulfilled the law and you are to be walking in the resurrection life that he purchased for you by his body, by his blood at the cross. He wants you to walk in an abundance of life because we know the ending of the story. Lazarus comes out and they unwrap him. And I was thinking about just this morning even as I was praying to come. And as they unwrap him, he is covered from head to toe in cloth. As they unwrap his eyes, who does he see? Whose face does he see? Face to face. Come out from behind the stone and walk into life face to face with the Saviour. They're unwrapping him, but who's there? Our beautiful Saviour. And he's looking at him face to face. That is the new covenant of grace, church. Face to face with the Saviour. An intimate connection with the Saviour. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The stone has been rolled away. The law is no more. The Bible also tells us that the law is obsolete. We are to live under the covenant of grace, not mixing, jumping back here, jumping in here, mixing a bit of this and a bit of that, and you come away wondering, who is this God? Is he angry at me? Does he love me? What do I do? I'm here to tell you, he is deeply, passionately, overwhelmingly in love with you because we live under the covenant of grace. Romans 8, 1-2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit, Jesus' Spirit was troubled. The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? The old covenant. The stench of death is gone, church. The stench of death has been taken away. The stench of death under the law, daily sacrifices was temporal, but Jesus came to take away our sin. His body, his blood took away, cleansed us whiter than snow. And like Lazarus, the death, the, the grave clothes are taken off and we can look face to face with the Saviour. That's the zeal of our God. The jealousness, jealousy, I don't know if that's a word, the jealousy of the Lord that pursues humankind, that pursues you right where you are. And I've here, church, and it may sound a bit cranky, but... Jesus called Lazarus by name. Lazarus, come out. And he's talking to you this morning and maybe you're here on behalf of someone else as well. He's saying to you, you need to speak this into someone else's life. Come out. Leave the stench of death 
the grave behind and look face to face with the Saviour. He called him by name and he's calling you by name and he's calling our loved ones by name and he's calling those that don't even know that he knows their name. He's calling them and he's saying, come out. The law is gone, the new has come. Jesus established a new covenant of life. That's you and me. That's where we live. And as I shared this morning, a lot of people don't understand that. They want to jump back into war. We didn't come here this morning to talk about law. We came to worship our king and to give all glory to the one who is worthy. I'm going to finish on this scripture. Isaiah 9 verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He is seated at the right hand. He is king. And we are to be prepared for his return. There is a season of preparation going on in his bride. Church King Jesus is on the throne. To hear more podcasts from Grace Church Australia, make sure you subscribe and stay connected by going to gracegathering.online.